You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by my ESPN colleague, Jason Reed, who used to cover the Redskins, knows his place well. And then it's Therapy Thursday and the doctor is in. So many topics to cover, so many questions to answer. Who are the top head coaching candidates? Would Mike Tomlin really join the Redskins? And more. And then it's more barbecue talk with Chef Mel. A mahi-mahi recipe? Yep, that's something that's going to get you through the weekend. But first, my conversation with Jason Reed. I'm here with Jason Reed, my ESPN colleague. He's been around the Redskins for a long time now. What is it, 12, 13 years, Jason? Yeah, yeah. So we're out here today. Jay Gruden was fired. We were at Bruce Allen's press conference. Is any, do you think anything is ever going to change here? Did you hear anything that says this time it could be different? Well, no, actually, to the contrary, John, I mean, what, what I heard, and which I, if I'm a Redskins fan, was pretty alarming, was Bruce Allen, the team president, really really the general manager, let's be honest about it, um, said that he disagrees with the premise that the team hasn't been successful. Like, look, I mean, not to be sarcastic or snarky or anything, but really? Like, you, dis- you disagree with the premise that this team, how many playoff appearances have been over the last, like, 20 years? Okay. How many winning records? How many home playoff games have they hosted? So, like, we can talk about where you can make improvements on a roster. We can talk about the development of Dwayne Haskins and where that ranks and everything they need to get done. But if the person who's in charge of assembling the team disagrees with the premise that the team has been unsuccessful, I don't know where you go from there. I don't know either. When you, because you're now going around the league, how different is it here? Do you think compared to other places? Oh, like successful places? It, yeah, just yeah. To, just in terms of the, the the building itself, the atmosphere, the culture, etc. Oh, I I can honestly say that ever since I've been a, a national NFL reporter, it really has struck me over the last three four years how things are so much different with successful franchises. With franchises, and, and I don't mean, I'm not talking about like the, the Patriots, that right. type of success, you know, the, the, the ultimate success. I'm talking about teams that like have winning records, teams that are are usually in the hunt for the mm-hmm. playoffs. I'm not even talking about teams that make the playoffs. Right. I'm talking about teams that are, that are generally in the hunt. And, and if they have a down year, they make decisions where you think, okay, well, maybe they have a sh- shot next year. It is like night and day. And I've talked to executives on those teams, and once the tape recorder goes off, and they know what I used to right, do, right. like, tell me about the Redskins. <laughs> and, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with NFL people when I'm going to write a story on a quarterback or a player or whatever, uh, just traveling around the league, you know, doing the type of stories that I do, where once that recorder goes off, they're like, let me tell you something, or let me ask you something. And then I spend usually 
the next half an hour just them telling me anecdotes about stuff that they hear about this place and me either saying I've heard it or saying I haven't heard that one. So yeah, it's, it's a lot different. And what, is, it, is it just more, is it the decision making, is it the culture, is it the atmosphere they build here? What is it? I think it's, I think it's all of the above. I, I think that when you look at, look, we have more than a fair sample size sure, to say that this organization is not being run well. And when, again, I, I mean, I have to go back to Bruce Allen because he's, Daniel Snyder owns the team, but he has empowered Bruce Allen to run the team, run basically every facet of the team from the business operations to the football operation. And when we were in this position, I guess it was a little, little more than five years yeah, ago, yeah. Bruce Allen, he uttered that famous quote back then, or the infamous quote, that the team is winning off, off the, the field, field yeah. off the field as opposed to on the field. And today he says he disagrees with the premise that the team is not being successful. Look, it's funny to people who are not Redskins fans, but for people who remember what Joe Gibbs did sure. and, and the three Super Bowls and, and every year being in the discussion about can they get to the Super Bowl, it's got to be very painful to them. And, you know, like I, I generally try not to tweet about the team anymore because right. um, even when I'm kidding around, it's not funny to these people, and yeah. I get that. But you really do have to feel for these Reds, these lifelong Redskins yeah. fans because they're being done a disservice, really. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you look at the rest of this year, I mean, obviously Dwayne Haskins' development becomes a big part of it. What would you do with him? Would you just start him right away? Would you want him to kind of marinate a little bit more on the bench? What would you, what would you think might be best? You know, John, that, that's a tough question, buddy, because if, 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 if you had Trent Williams, if you had a running game, I, I might be more inclined to say, well, okay, at some point they've got to get him first-team reps every week. Not just the game reps, but as you know, the first-team reps in practice because the backups don't run first-team reps. So if, if Trent, you know, if you, if you had a Trent Williams, if you'd had a running game, and I think it's fair to say that even the fact that he wasn't getting first-team reps, he was clearly not prepared on another level on top right, of that. Right. So I don't know how you, I don't know how you evaluate him given the current state of this roster. Right. Um, so I think that's a tricky thing now. But the flip side is, is that you saw that picture of him on the bench right. during the uh, Bears game, Bears I believe. Game. Yep. And there were things going on in the background with Case Keenum and the OC, and he was not engaged, right. and he was not even looking at it. So then you wonder to yourself, does he need to be playing to be engaged. Right. And that opens up a whole other host of it questions. Does. So to answer your question, I don't know what yeah. they do. I, I wouldn't run them out there, yeah. though. And I, I, I would not run them out there, though. And the last thing, do you have someone in mind? Like, we, we know that this is going to be a tough place for anybody to win. It's been proven. Do you have someone in mind that you say, I hope this guy gets a shot or could do something here? Well, I'm going to answer that by, by posing a question. If this organization, and by the organization I mean Dan Snyder, yeah. if this organization is truly committed to Dwayne Haskins and seeing if they got it right, then you got to bring in an offensive mind to sure. work with this kid. Now, just off the top of my head, there's a guy named Patrick Mahomes in KC, hmm. a fairly decent quarterback. He gives Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator there, a lot of credit for his development. Eric Bieniemy does not call plays, but he's heavily involved sure. with the construct of the offense and the install and all that type of stuff. So, I would think that's somebody who would have to get a, who should get a look. But again. Are they are they still committed to Dwayne Haskins? And I think that's a fair question. I think any question right now is a fair question to ask about this. Absolutely, absolutely. Jason, thanks a lot. Anytime, Cakes. Coming up, I'm going to answer your Therapy Thursday questions. A lot of topics to cover. Bill Callahan, was, was Dwayne Haskins' development a factor in Jay Gruden's firing? And more. 
Okay, it's Therapy Thursday. I have a lot of questions. Let's get right to it. First one from John Finley at Johnny Boy 1886 How much was the lack of development in Haskins a factor in Gruden's sacking? Okay, John, I don't think it was a big factor at all. His record was, he was 0-5 this year. They were 35-49-1 again with him overall. That's all the, that's the only reason they needed to let, let this, you know, to, tur- to pull the plug on this right now. I was told that it wasn't mentioned during the final meeting, and I was told by several people that there was no internal pressure on Gruden to play him. And in fact, I think the fact that Bill Callahan said that he's not going to be the starter right away and maybe not for a few weeks tells you that the organization was on board with how things were going for him in terms of the pace or in terms of when he should be playing or not. I was told for a while that even Snyder said that they have to be patient with him. And so now what I don't know is if they sense that Gruden might not be good for him overall because he maybe they felt like he didn't believe in him the way that they did. Um, I do know in multiple conversations that the thought about Haskins from was that he had tremendous upside and that he would take a while. And I will tell you again that this isn't just coming from one place. That's from players, coaches, front office. I know that Haskins got a couple first-team reps on Wednesday. That's good. Getting a couple more reps won't solve all that he needs to do, but it obviously won't hurt. He just needs to keep working on some of the things away from the field that can help. Things I've gone over many times in articles and podcasts. The thing I hear from everyone there, good kid, they want to see him succeed. And yes, even Gruden would tell you that. There was no conspiracy against Haskins, but rather a strong belief that he wasn't ready. Keep in mind, guys, they put him in a situation where they had a player that they knew they were taking at 15 who wouldn't be ready for a while, pairing him with the coach who needed to win now. That's I don't know that that's fair to either side. I feel bad for Haskins in this process too, because they put him in a tough position. I know they were doing a lot to try and get him ready. And if they can do more, that's great because that's what he's going to need. I do think there's always a shared responsibility in getting a guy ready. That means the coaches, that means the player himself. But what I will say is whether or not it was a factor in in the firing of Gruden, it's a factor for Callahan moving forward. Callahan now, part of his job is making sure that Haskins develop. He's not going to become the head coach, and I'll talk more about that later. But I think that's a big part of his job moving forward. It doesn't mean just playing him right away, but it does mean doing some things away from there. Maybe there's more they can do. If so, that's great. And for whoever comes in as the next coach, his Haskins' development will be a major key. That has to be a priority when you're looking at a coach is how will you develop Haskins? Um, now, Valentino wants to know, at G running, G underscore running, who are the top candidates for head coach of the Redskins and why? Who would I like to see as head coach and does a head coach change the culture of the team? Top candidates, really, really early to say. You're going to hear names like Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day. Um, I feel safe in saying those two are massive long shots. Just that's based on what I've heard. Um, so just take that. But I also think logically, why the hell would they leave where they're at to come here? And it's not about money. They're get they're, they're rich. They're going to be rich where they are. They have tremendous security. And if they ever wanted to come out to the NFL, they would look for a situation that is far different than this one. Um, we already talked, well, let's see, actually we haven't. Um, Mike Tomlin is another guy that you're going to hear. And you've probably already heard um, that he clearly would make sense if he was free. I can see them being interested in Todd Bowles, who has a strong relationship with Doug Williams. I've been told that Greg Williams has remained in contact with Dan Snyder since interviewing here last offseason. 
I think names you'd also have to put on the list, Eric Bieniemy, maybe Byron Leftwich. I don't know on that one at this point. I don't know who is legit as a candidate at this point. I think, it's like I said, it's really early. I'd like to see, I don't have a name because I what I'd like to see is a strong, disciplined coach. And I don't have a name because I haven't truly researched any of these guys to say who would be best. It's it's easy to see a name and say, oh, this guy would be perfect. How the heck do we know? you got to research these guys. You can't just go by what you may read in a national narrative or something like that. Because keep this in mind, there are agents that are pushing their guys out there. So they they do, they are going to push their guys. Some people may do them favors by promoting their guys, etc. This is how it works. So, you know, and I'm not saying some of these guys won't be legitimate if they are mentioned, but I'm just saying that's why I just don't automatically jump and say, this guy's the best. I think you got to research and, and call around and do that. That's what I have to do. Um, anyways, but I know they should get a strong coach, a coach strong on details, discipline, and holding players accountable. Having a don't don't have an inconsistent set of um, um, accountability factors. The culture will be difficult as long as the owner and president insert themselves on football decisions. Um, too many times those decisions are made get made without much thought about how things fit in the locker room. I think a really good coach could help change that. But the culture does start at the top, and those in power have to want the same thing as the coaching staff. Not that the coach always gets all say, but I think there has to be something more in sync. I think it's fair to wonder, though, if a stronger head coach had been here the last couple years, somebody more detailed, would things have been better? And I think you can look at them and say maybe they would have. So maybe a, a different coach would help. It's not like there's a horrible roster base here. Would we look at them differently now, their organization, if there had been a stronger head coach in charge now? Perhaps. But I already know some of the candidates that wouldn't consider, I already know of some candidates that wouldn't consider coming here because of how this is set up here and what's gone on. So some things would have to change to attract the very best guys. um, And I'll get to that more in a minute. Um, James Lowe wants to know, Tomlin was very good at keeping all the AB stuff relatively quiet. Do you think that makes him ideal for the skins? Sure, but handling one player will prove easier than the stuff that goes on here. And I'll explain that. If the coach in front office or the president aren't on the same page, then that leads to leaks and the circus atmosphere that ensues. So it's eventually some decisions get made that someone fears will make them look bad or that they are really against. So word spreads on who wanted whom, etc. Regardless, Tomlin also seems to have a good relationship with owner Dan Snyder. That matters. I believe their kids both attend Bullis High School in Maryland. I've seen them at owner's meetings being very friendly and laughing together. That always helps. But in talking to people who know Tomlin, he's not about to bail on Pittsburgh. And if he gets fired, he'd have multiple job offers. Would he want the dysfunction that has taken place here? I talked to one prominent coaching agent who said that those who would want this job would either be daring or desperate. We'll see how this unfolds, but I think that's something to pay attention to. I also think I want to go one last point is it's not just about handling one player. I think when you're handling a guy like A.B., everybody's got to be on the same page with how you want to handle things. When you're on the same page, then you can keep that stuff relatively quiet. But if you're not on the same page, then that stuff starts to become an issue. So I think that's if could Tomlin get them on the same page? If he can, then that has a chance to work. Um, let's see. But again, I don't know if he would be a guy or not, but he's certainly going to be mentioned because for all the reasons I stated. All right. G-Black at G-Black2 wants to know, will the increased vocal responses by notable sports personalities, Scott Van Pelt, Matthew Perry, 
excuse me, Matthew Barry, Matthew Perry, I don't know what the hell he thinks, but Matthew Barry, um, pushed Dan Snyder to any action. There has always been public ridicule from fans, which was followed with an action. Maybe this is different. Sorry, man. No, it won't push him to any action. If he's not moved to make changes um, you want that you want by seeing his home stadium full of Patriots fans, then nothing anyone on ESPN says for a minute or two is going to make a difference. I think it's pretty easy to see that fans are upset because you go to games and it's right there in front of you. He's sitting at the games. That's what he's watching. I don't think he's going to say, oh my God, we lost Matthew Barry. We better do something. No. Or, or Scott Van Pelt. No. I think I think it's good to keep that alive, but I don't think that's going to be what ma- what matters to him. If, he hasn't, if he's not moved by what's happened, the lack of success in his two decades or the last 10 years, I don't think that's going to make a difference at all. Anyways, um, at Rip Nip RSC says, I've asked this question on multiple occasions. Okay, well, now I'm going to answer. Who would you consider to be the real leaders on this team? I can't think of anybody. Could you give me three guys that are leaders? Um, anyways, I think the problem is guys that fans consider leaders in the past really weren't. I think fans get wowed by guys who are who come out and say strong things and do this and, oh, my God, he's yelling at this. That's not leadership at least not to the extent that you, that you think it is. Um, so don't get caught up in some of those, the public image things. I think real leadership goes on behind the scenes and you know guys who work a certain way, take a certain approach. But I will agree, I don't think there is enough. And, it's not, and I think some of these guys are too young maybe to ascend to those roles. Again, it's not about, about vocal leadership and saying crazy things. It's about the approach you take in your work um, offensively, I see receiver Terry McLaurin developing into a guy like that. Um, he's too young for it now, and he knows that. He knows what his place is. He's only played four games. Um, I could see Case or Colt, Case Keenum or Colt McCoy being that sort of guy. But you have to be the full-time quarterback. It's hard to be a leader if you're in and out of the lineup. Um, both have the right approach. Dwayne Haskins, too young to be in that role. Let him. He's, he's learning the game first. Ultimately, down the road, he's going to have to be that kind of guy. He started to develop into that at Ohio State, um, but he was because he was only in char- because he was only the starting quarterback for one year. It really was McLaurin who was the leader on that offense at Ohio State. Um, but again, Haskins will have to ascend to that at some point. Um, I see the linemen work in a certain way. I think that's good. I think guys like Brandon Sheriff, you know, Morgan Moses, they work a certain way. Um, you know, so that's all good. Adrian Peterson, I think, is a strong leader in the running back room. Guys pay attention to him. They see how he works, the notes he takes. That's the stuff that matters. Um, defensively, I think, but I, but I will agree. I don't think there's enough of them. Defensively, Jonathan Allen is a leader. I think Landon Collins is a quiet leader, more by example in the work he puts in. He'll say things once in a while when they need to be, but it's really about your approach. Are you taking care of your business off the field? I also think the leaders have to hold guys accountable, and I think that's where you know you need more guys like that. I think Allen has tried to do that in the past. I think he's developing more into that now. Um, but I do think they could use more. It's a young defensive group, so maybe some others will emerge. I think that um, I like the character of this year's rookie group. So they have a chance to have some more guys like that. But yes, I think they could use some more, no doubt, because something's not working, so why not? Ivy West at Dorf. How difficult is it to manage a press conference like Bruce's on Monday where the answers don't really sync with what you believe to be true or what you've experienced? For example, Dan saying Dan Snyder has made himself available to the press. Um, Ivy, I wouldn't call it difficult. We've all been around Allen for long enough to know how things work with him. It doesn't matter what you ask. It won't be answered to anyone's satisfaction. 
I think the Snyder part was interesting because he doesn't make himself available. He, of course, can do whatever he wants. It's his team. But he has a fan base that wants answers. And to me, there's a responsibility after what's taken place here in recent years to provide some. He does not like press conferences at all. So I wouldn't hold your breath for that. But he's been asked for multiple one-on-ones over the years, and he declines those too. So I think you know that press conferences like that will be end up be will end up being frustrating for everybody because you're not getting necessarily what you want, and mostly that's for you guys. Um, and I'm not going to say it's not frustrating for us on the other end because you do want some more some answers that maybe provide either more insight into decisions, more insight into thought process. Or, um, or whatever. And I think, you know, the hard part, sometimes you ask a guy about his 10-year record and he goes back to, hey, we're all 0-5. Well, it's not about this, not just about this year when you ask those questions, it's about a 10-year. But again, you at, we ask the questions, they can only answer the way, we can only, can't control anything beyond what that, and so that's how it's going to go. Bruce Allen is a politician, he's very good at that, at staying on a message, so it leads to your frustration. Reginald T. Skinner, um, why would the run game improve when Callahan has called it since last year? Good question, Reginald, and I think it'll be more about commitment to the run game. I know in several conversations that Jay Gruden wanted to be a team that pounded the ball. That's what they were becoming a little bit last year before all the injuries, but he didn't always seem committed to it, and I think that's where the, the key is, and that frustrated some, I know. Callahan says he wants to be, so let's see. I know some here who carry the ball will be happy if he honors that word. Score dictates things, and being committed to against Miami on the ground is easier than against Dallas when you're down by a few scores. Um, but I know there were some runs last week by Adrian Peterson in which he felt he missed a cutback hole or missed maybe a, the hole because of how the Patriots played it. But that's where getting more carries on the same run would help later in the game. He could have an idea of what to look for now after that one carry and then maybe snap off a long run if that same um, situation presents itself. That's where the commitment helps, and I think that's what's happened throughout Peterson's career, so let's pay attention to that. Haskins for culture, at Skins Pet Rock, nice one, um, wants to know, thoughts on John Allen's comments about a good culture. Do you think there is a core of players strong enough to have a good locker room, even with poor accountability at the top? Oh, okay, um, I think it's hard to have that great culture without having it at the top first. And I say that because there have been guys at the top have wanted that did not fit into what you would consider a good culture. So they clash with guys like Allen who believe in doing things a certain way. I think you could probably put Zach Brown in that category. I think if you're eight, based on everything I've heard, but I think if you're able to somehow populate the locker room with enough guys like Allen, then yeah, you can, then yes, you can overcome it to a point. I think then um, other teams do it. Not every player on the Patriots is perfect. Um, but they make it work in their culture. The locker room is a certain way, but so is management, and that's the key. Expectations from top down are the same. But I know there is a good young base of guys with an approach similar to Allen's with the Redskins. That's a good start. But this place needs to be more in sync for it to grow and to, to, to excuse me to grow and develop into something more. Perhaps a new coach with some power can help change this much like Joe Gibbs did. And I think I said, that's why I say I think a stronger coach with some discipline would, would absolutely would absolutely help because then you're setting expectations. But I think this organization, and many have told me this, many have, have said that they've got to get on the same page with all this because that just makes it so hard to sustain success. You can, have, you can build a winning team for a year 
by with what they have now, you know, or with, with what they're doing now. But to sustain, to sustain success, it's got to be in more in sync than it has been. Um, at Redskins Bucks, at Rudy Bucks, wants to know, what are the chances that, uh, that this turns into Zorn Part 2, where we end settling for mediocre Bill Callahan and a bad staff? Well, I think it's way too early for that because they haven't even played a game yet, and I wouldn't see that happening. It's rare for an interim coaches to get hired, and Callahan understands this. It is sort of a last chance for him to show that maybe he could be a head coach again. But if he gets it, and it, it would be or should be because they had a major turnaround. If that somehow happens, then why wouldn't he be considered? Um, also, he's not Zorn. Zorn should never have been a head coach. Callahan has been one and is way more respected than Zorn ever was as a position coach. I think Callahan has a lot of strengths that lend itself toward um, being a head coach. Now, how good he would be? Well, he's got a track record in that. He hasn't been one in for, forever because others didn't, haven't seen him that way in a long, long time. But he does have qualities. He is respected. I think there's a reason why Zorn hasn't gotten back in the game the way he would like to have. But I think what your point is, not so much that he's Jim Zorn, but that they end up settling for a situation. And, you know, I, I would you would think that that wouldn't happen again. Um, but with this place, who the hell knows? And I think the problem with it is, um, that if others keep turning them down, they are going to be they are going to get into a situation where fans might not be overwhelmed with the choice. But I don't know that there's such a long way to go. Um, at Men's Ray at Cavs for days. Kyle Smith, can you talk about? Him? I only have a few more questions here, guys. Kyle Smith, can you talk about him and his potential future role in the Redskins? I think he's a solid piece of the organization and should have his role increase in coming years. He comes across as a smart guy and is a grinder when it comes to scouting. I've talked to him a couple times and like that he has a plan for how things need to be done. I think it's why he's hired some national scouts, which then frees him up to focus on some of the bigger talent in the draft rather than just hitting specific zones throughout the country. He seems to have a good reputation in the league. I like this past class. Um, there was an emphasis put on makeup of the players in the last two drafts that he has really run. Clearly, people wonder about whether he can be a GM or not. I think he'll be groomed for that role by expand, and I mean, by people, I mean fans. I think he'll be groomed for that role by expanding some on the pro side duties. Um, I don't know how much, but I and I don't know when that would happen. I also don't think he's going anywhere. I have to double check on his contract situation. Um, I know at one point it was up after this year. I don't know if that's still the case, um, but they'd be silly to let him walk. And I doubt anyone off this staff really gets hired for a bigger role with another organization after this mess of a season. One thing you need to know about Kyle Smith, he doesn't have an agent. He's not a self-promoter. So I think those kind of things that can limit your exposure elsewhere. And like, you know how this works. Like if an agent's out there pushing his guy, pushing his guy, then a fan, you know, and, and some other people pick up on that in the national media, then the fans think that this guy's somehow the next great thing. And that's the guy they want. You can sell it to your fan base. Kyle Smith stays really quiet. So I think that's, you know, that also, he's respected, but he stays quiet. Um, I think he's one of the bright spots of this organization. I think they just need more guys like him. And those in charge need to follow his draft board each step of the way. Um, Nathan Truncale, at Nathan Truncale. All right, this is my last one, folks. What's your favorite meat slash wine pairing? Hmm, okay. One of my favorite pairings is a little somewhat non-traditional because it's usually white with fish, but it's Pinot Noir with salmon, a good Pinot with salmon. And the, but the salmon I have it with 
has like it's, it has more of a red based sauce to it. So that's why I go with the red. But it's also just a it's just to me it's a favorite. It's one of my favorite conversation or excuse me, one of my favorite pairings. I like it. I play a little Sinatra in the background while I'm cooking that. Also, it's really 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 hard to go wrong with a good cab and a steak. That is a classic. And with that. We're on to Chef Mel for some more barbecue and food conversation. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Chef Mel. All right, another week with Chef Mel. Barbecue, food, grilling, whatever we're going to talk here. Mel, they have the dolphins this week. That means some good seafood. It should mean if you're going down to South Florida. So one thing I want to ask you about, do you give me a good grilled, like is it I don't know if Mahi Mahi would do it for you or tuna? I do, do a good grilled Mahi Mahi. Now what I do with that grilled Mahi Mahi, I put a little bit of jerk into that seasoning and okay. uh and do that for the for the grilled fish. And then top it off with some pineapple sauce or mango salsa. Then you can add some plantains and some uh, black beans and rice or whatever to the dish. And then you got it. You know what I'm saying? You got the Miami style. Well, that's the that's, Chef Mel style. That's the Chef Mel Miami style. Yeah. No, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's my style. That's your style. So I mean, how long do you grill them? How long are you going to grill it? Well, you want to grill it on both sides. You want to uh, flip it over on both sides and get a good uh, you know, grill mark on a, on a mahi-mahi. So until it's like done, so it's a few minutes. Fish don't take that long to cook. No, it does not. So especially on the grill, you want to just like monitor it and uh, just make sure that it's cooked well all the way through. And, and uh, so we're talking, I guess it depends on how big how too. thick, How thick yeah, the how, cut yes. of the fish is. Like sometimes like, you know, if you're getting the fresh mahi mahi, sometimes like the, the cuts of it is thicker than the other. Always, always with fish, that happens that way. Right. So you just got to just, uh, whatever cut you're using, just watch out for the... Um, for how long you want to have it on there for like typically it should take only like the six minutes three minutes on each side uh and you should be good from there but i tell you add that jerk seasoning to it and then i mean like you can like marinate it overnight and it'd be oof. Mar- what are you going to marinate it in i mean in some jerk season you want to you know you want to oh, with the jerk season yeah. overnight okay overnight let that thing sit in there soaking it oh man now you do your own jerk seasonings correct i do my own jerk seasonings. then if it's something i have to go like on a fly something like i have to do real quick i'll get a bottle of jerk season but it's good to make your own but if not you could just get up is there, the is there one like at the store that you would go, go like yeah the jamaican is a jamaican uh a jamaican style jerk seasoning but well, they also be all jamaican but right. this is officially like you know right Jama- it's jamaican style yeah. okay cool then, along with that, you brought up the plantains, and you know we just had a meal here with your plantains, <laughs> and I, I told you they're awesome. Man. I always have a hard time. I, I have a hard time being doing them consistently right. Sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I well, don't. Well, what you got to do, do what, what you got to go to is with the plantains, just like on the grill. You got to just watch them. You gotta watch, you make sure that you don't leave the stove top, don't leave whatever you know, whatever way you're preparing it. It's frying them. You want to fry them really well, but you also you want to you know take them out. As soon as you see them get, you know, golden brown, you don't want them to be really, you know, really dark looking. You want them just right, and then let them sit, let them rest for a while, and when you let them rest, they're gonna. See, the sweetness good. comes out well. What do you, what are you putting in there with it? Like, usually, just like. Just grease. Just grease. <laughs> just grease. That's it. Just grease. No, no, like no. No other. No nothing. No cinnamon. Just, no no brunch, not, Nothing. Nah. Really. Nope. What kind of grease? Grease. You doing bacon grease or just any? No, kind? oh heck no. That would be gross. 
bacon grease? You can't. I mean, you can put bacon on it. people. Well, you can, but like that doesn't bro. sound appealing to it me. It don't sound. I don't want not no with bacon. That. Not with the. So what? You just just nah, you no grease. Nah, you lost me on that one today. <laughs> I, well, that, that's why you I was like, you had bacon on your mind. <laughs> no, and I don't even use a lot of that to be honest. When I'm when I'm cooking, I just yeah. was I wasn't sure what kind of grease you're putting with it. That's all. Because like you know, when I've done them, I, I put it you know with some sometimes with some butter, sometimes with a little bit just, of grease, but also some, with just some, some cinnamon. Fried, or, you know, some cooking grease like like okay. basic like uh, really so just basic grease. Yeah. Wow. So, like, because when I'm... There's some fry, there's some good old fry oil, some oil that basically that, that's good with fry. Okay, and I've done that, too. And, and that's nothing, too. A lot of people, some people don't know the difference between oils. Like, you know, olive right, oil, no, no, fry oil, you know, all Virgin those different, ver- everything. You got to, like, make sure, because you might just, just be using it for dressing. Correct. <laughs> and then someone, why, why is coming out wrong? <laughs> right, no, that, that's absolutely right. Well, I, you know, usually, like, I'm following, with the plantains, I'm following some level of a recipe yeah. to see, because I don't trust myself yet with those. Mm-hmm. So that's what, you know, I'm always using whatever they're recommending is what I'm using. So what, it's more about, it's to be honest, it's more about sometimes tending to it, because then you get, like, what, you, what I've noticed with yours, they're fully, it's fully browned, it's yeah. fully cooked. And I think that's one of the mistakes that I that I have a hard time with. Yeah, you get better at it, man. Just, just keep practicing. It's reps. So what you what, so what you think about your mahi mahi? Well, mahi mahi, you will come up. with I haven't. I don't make mahi mahi. I order it, but now, I don't make now it. Now another one I do too. I do a General Souls glaze on there. You know, really you on the mahi mahi? Yes. Really? Yes, that'd be good too. You know, you could do that one, and then you could you know make it sweet and spicy, and add some red peppers to it, or you could use some you know kind. Of, you just want to like have a little kick to it. So you can have a little something spicy on it to go on, top, you know. Underneath. You like the spice stuff. I mean, I like the sweet, sweet and spice. I like the you know. Go it's a good around. mix. Yeah, it's a mix around. It's a mix. It's a good mix, and that's where it's, it's. But what I've always liked about your food, there's a balance. Like if you you have like you had the chicken wings, there's a there's a kick to it, but there's a balance. There's the, you have the good mix with the acidity and some mm-hmm. of the spices with the pineapples on there. So that's what I was like. Now the other thing you were talking about in the room, and I want to bring this up because people are afraid of this one is kale. How do you make kale taste good? Oh man. Just basically, the basic thing is oil, uh, olive oil, just, a, you know, a couple of tablespoons of olive oil to saute the pan, like to get the pan mm-hmm. uh, going. And then you want to add some, like, you know, like some garlic, some fresh garlic. You want to have a little mince, and then you want to do salt, pepper. Now, what I do with my cow, I actually add a little bit of extra seasoning to it to give it more flavor. Okay. It's like, you can flavor cow, and I'm talking about, this is delicious. I really didn't, you know, too care for my super greens now that I'm, I'm like, really having fun with them and, and really spinach playing around with Yeah, the spinach. It's like I do sesame oil with my spinach. I just do different things that, like, just taste good. Like, vegetables are so good. And then I'm at the they farmer's are. market, and I just really, I just go crazy just enjoying all the vegetables now and what I could do with them. And just, I don't want them to taste good. So, you need some good vegetables. Y'all come see me. Come see Chef Mel at 12 <laughs> Tables, and I'll hook you up. There you, you go. You know what I'm saying? But it's going to be a charge, though. But I'll hook you up, though. Come see me at 12 Tables. I'm at 12 Tables Elegant Dining. Look me up. Find me there on Instagram, 12 Tables. I'm here. Yeah, have a good one. Awesome. Thanks, Mel. That's it for this week, folks. Thank you very much to Jason Reed and Chef Mel for joining me. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for your questions. I know this hasn't been easy for you. I know it's frustrating as hell. Hang in there and we'll try to get some answers for you.